so this might be quite an interesting morning. Um, just, Jesus takes the wheel. Um, yeah. Now is the winter of our discontent. May glorious summer by the sun of York. We've got some teachers in the house. Where's that from? Who said that? Can you know who said it? Do you know when they said it? Ah. It's the Duke of Gloucester in um, Richard III. So he's, he's saying, actually, out of our winter of discontent, out of this time of turmoil and pain and frustration, and winter creates this gloomy picture of darkness, and we were in this brokenness, and now the son of York has brought like life and summer and beauty and joy. And we've changed our weapons of armor into like basically like plowshares. And we've just rested on our laurels and he's in the chamber with like a lady. And it's like all joy has come and there's celebration. And this Duke is upset about that because he's not the guy who gets to enjoy it. And so he's orchestrating a whole plan to try and, like actually usurp, usurp that power and he's trying to sow seeds of like discontent and division so that they can there be turmoil so that he can grab the crown basically and that's become quite a famous saying even though like we said we, we don't actually know where it comes from but our, this, this is our winter of discontent and i think if we look around globally there is a cycle of discontent we are trapped in a cycle of discontent. We, are, we have become experts at blaming. Whether we blame our parents, our leaders, our kids, our employees, our bosses, our government, our everything. We, we can find a reason why it's not our fault. There's, you can flip it on, like a, on the other side. It's like there's the... There's a celebration of the victim mentality. And whether we like it or not, it's infected all of us. And it's affected all of us. And what I've realized is it's hard to break out of that cycle. Because there's probably truth in what you're identifying. It's like, ah, it's the government's fault. Have they done stuff wrong? Yes. Is the solution blaming the government? Probably not. Because the government is is not going to come and fix your problems. The government is supposed to do some things, but that's not the be-all and end-all. We, we blame God, and it's like, God was supposed to do this. God wasn't supposed to do everything for you. We blame our parents, and our parents did this wrong, and they did that wrong, and probably true. But what did you do with it? What did you, what did you make use of you ha- what you have been given? So the church the problem. Like the church has done a lot of wrong things. And a lot of made a lot of mistakes. But the church is us. So we've all made mistakes. Are those like are you, your assessments correct? Probably. Like there's things that the church has done. There's things that the church hasn't done. Is there things that Trinity Central hasn't done? Yes. Is it the perfect church? Absolutely not. I'm part of it. <laughs> <laughs> are there things that I've done wrong? Absolutely. Are there things that I've not done? Absolutely. And this is not a, ah, woe is me, pity me. This is actually, 
me, when, when it's just say, like, I, I repent. And it's not a joke. Because I think there's something about that atmosphere of discontent that we can bring into a situation, into our relationships, into our friendships, into our families, that just sow seeds of, like, I don't know, it's like I said, it's division, it's discontent, it's dissatisfaction. And whether you realize it or not, there's, it's, it's, it's a lack of love. Because the opposite of that discontent is actually that contentment, that love and appreciation for what is there. If you think about like your, 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 your family relationship or like if I come into my parenting relationships, if I go into my kids and I start with everything that's wrong, it, it's just going to break them down. But actually if I come in there and just say, man, I love you completely. I appreciate you. Do I see that there's flaws? Absolutely. But is that the defining characteristics? No. Like I start with absolute almost contentment. Like we, we've been talking about peace. And the reason why I'm talking today about contentment is that at peace, I think, is applied to a personal relationship, like to, to your personal nature. Like peace applied to that is actually contentment. It's like actually I am at peace. I am content with my station in life, my position in life, with who I am. I'm content with what God has given me. Whereas the world we're living in is literally trying to sell us everything that's the opposite of contentment. It's dissatisfaction with your lot in life. Dissatisfaction with your, your job. It's like, actually, you have to have a dream. And if you don't, you're not ambitious enough. You've got to have a dream of changing the world. Of Actually, I've got a quote here. Um, Discontent is the first necessity of progress. Thomas Edison. And I, I don't agree. I think there's an element of that. It's like actually like noticing where there's, there's challenges to fix and problems to fix. Absolutely, we have to make progress. That's, it's a God-given desire for the kingdom of God where we see the brokenness around us, we see the brokenness in our church, we see the brokenness in the world, and we want to be a part of the solution. But if we focus on just the problems, we get into that spiral of discontent. And we can so easily go along the way of Cain, which is actually, what's the first thing, the first lesson your kids almost learn? That's not fair. But that's not fair. You got that, I got this. That's not fair. He got that, I got this. That's not fair. It's like our desire is for complete equality, but actually it's only viewed through our lens. It's only viewed through like, I want what I want. I don't really care what they get. I just want everything that I see other people have. It's like it literally, the Bible talks about actually the way of Cain, because it's looking at saying, why was his accepted, not mine? Well, so why him? What about him? Like, I've done my part. Why is that accepted, not me? That's not fair. Yeah, this is interesting. Meandering. <laughs> so what feeds our discontent? It's comparison, coveting, consumerism. 
Like I said, it's the first complaint we have in the Bible. It's, that's not fair. We had an example of this actually last week. I'm sure you guys were all watching after Tottenham drew to Southampton and Antonio Conte got up. I just said a whole lot of things that probably you don't even know. But he's this fiery Italian manager and he, he got up and he blamed his, his players. He's the manager. He's supposed to be responsible for how they play, who they are, what they've done. They went 3-1 up against the team that's bottom of the log and they drew 3-3. So they're supposed to be a team that's fighting for the top and they drew to a team that's right at the bottom. So it does, everybody looks at it and it's like, this should not happen. You should not lose like two goals. And part of it was because of his tactics, but he won't admit it. Because he went incredibly defensive to just try and hold on to what they had. And they ended up drawing like almost in the final minute to a penalty. But he came out in this fiery like rampage of blaming the players, blaming the culture of the club, blaming the owners, saying this has gone on for 20 years. It's not my responsibility. And it's this. And it was this childish thing. We're saying some true things. And you could just see this incredible explosion of this discontent. Because he doesn't actually want to be there anymore. And then literally they were saying, it's, it's basically as his, he's putting his hand up saying, please fire me because I want to be out of here. I'm done. He exploded as much as he could to make, cause a stir so that he could get fired so he could get paid out of his contract and leave. The club is kind of calling his bluff and they haven't fired him yet to try and see if they can hold on. But anyway, it's just an example of how our... <laughs> Anyway, the reason why I say this morning might be interesting is because I've had almost like a terrible week. I've been man down, like just sick in bed. Yeah, which for me, an introvert is usually like, it's a holiday. But I didn't actually get to pray. I didn't get to anything I wanted. So it just sowed this like discontent. And it's like, man, I didn't get to what I wanted. And then the pressure start like piling up. And, I, I, oh, and now I'm not the person that I want to be. And I haven't prayed enough. And I haven't been the pastor that I want to be. And then I, I don't have capacity for people. And I know that people are going through stuff. And I don't have the ability to reach out the way that I want to. And I, I can't prepare as much as what I want for Sunday. And oh, I'm going to let people down. And it's just like this, this week like piled up like this. And it's just like I look at our church and I'm saying, this is what I, I, I want it to be. But I think this is what people are experiencing of it. And then for me, like I place the burden and it's like, I don't want to be Antonio Conte that's blaming like, ah, it's you people and it's this, it's this. It's because I want to take responsibility to say, actually, it's my responsibility to set the vision and to say, this is who we are. This is what our church should be. A church should be a place where we are disciples of Jesus. We're like Warren said, actually, we look at what God is doing here and we love it. I love God and I love God's people. First and foremost, I can't step into your life and say, it's like, hey, I want you to come be part of church. But you know what, Pierre, I've got some things you need to fix. You've got to do this, 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 and this, and this. And I, whether we like it or not, I think that's most people's experience of Christianity and church. Is it turns what's supposed to be life-giving 
into box ticking. And it's like, it makes people feel like a project. Because you think about like a, a bunch of my friends that are unbelievers, it's like they don't want to feel like a project. It's like, are you just my friend because you want to get me saved? Are you just my friend because you want to tick your box with like, hey, you reached out to a Hindu guy and then suddenly he's committed to, to Jesus and now you've, you've got this like little box ticked. And I think the same thing in church. It's like, hey, we want, we want you to come, come join us, come be part of us. Come, like, we, we've turned these discipleship relationships into, I don't know, we've got fancy names for it, whether it's accountability partners or like mentor, mentoree like relationships. It's like the, some of those are good and they're helpful. But part of it feeds into this mindset where it's like, okay, what are the boxes I need to tick to do the right thing so that I can, I can achieve the next level? I play some games with my son slash just on my own. And it's like there's a the whole thing of like you want to level up. And it's like, okay, you've got to tick these boxes and then you level up. And you tick these boxes and then you level up. And I think a lot of our Christianity we look at as that. And it's like if there's a discontent, it's like, okay, you haven't, haven't achieved these boxes until you level up to the next level and then you keep going. And that, that, that keeps sowing that like discontent. It keeps saying, actually, you're not good enough. Actually, you haven't achieved yet. I desperately want this to be a church filled with committed Christ-like disciples, wholeheartedly pursuing God in their private lives, affecting their public lives, affecting their marriages, affecting their friendships, affecting their spending habits. I would love it if we could give you a book to read, a course to work through, a 10-step program, and suddenly your life is what you always dreamt it to be. Because that dream is the dream of the kingdom of God. It is a dream of what life should be like. But it's not what it is at the moment. So the church is what bridges that gap between the world as we know it and the kingdom of God. So we can have glimpses of it here. But is it ever going to be perfect? Probably not. But that's okay. Because we, we, we look at what we do have. If we can focus on what we do have. Yeah. Uh, and then part of my sickness... Uh, lying in bed, couldn't do much, so I ended watching movies. <laughs> and there's a new Mark Wahlberg movie called Father Stew. It's a little bit um, interesting language in it for some people, so be, be afraid like if, you, if, you, if that's offensive to you. But it is about a boxer that eventually like, becomes a priest. So he's quite a hard guy. He's a rough guy. He's a boxer that wants to be an actor. And then basically through finding a girl he finds his way into church and he through like a whole circumstances of thing it's like he ends up wanting to become a priest and one of the lines in the movie is it's like life is going to give you a gut full of reasons to be angry kid you only need one to be grateful because he had a, he has a lot of things in his life kind of go against him but he's a fighter and the whole thing is this about like in fighting, so it's not about how hard you get hit. It's about how much you can get up. It's like, it doesn't matter how many punches you take. If you can get up, you can still win the fight. And the whole thing in this, this story is it's actually, can you find one reason to be grateful? And I've been thinking about this. And this discontent, like it affects so many of our relationships. 
You think about in your marriage. If you, if you go into a marriage or a relationship and you focus on all of the things that are wrong, you are just going to destroy that relationship. If you focus on all of the things that are right and start celebrating those and cultivating those, like Rebecca told us last week, of actually, how do you actually cultivate this? How do you put something in place to help it grow, to nurture it? Then it actually grows. I, I had an old manager at one of my jobs who was the most incredible guy, but he was mentally challenged. But his mom, when he was young, said to him, he came home the one day and he said, I can't do what the other kids can do. He's like, stop telling me what you can't do and focus on what you can do. That's all that matters. You will never be the same as everybody else, but that's okay because you can do what they can't do. And that transformed his life. It's like he seems happier than the average person that I actually see because he has made something of his life by just saying, you know what, I can do some things. I can't do that. I'm going to focus on what I can do. Literally in psychology, they say it's actually, this is how you help people because you can't fix the problems for them. You actually just guide them along so that they can see the problems, so that they can find the answers. Parenting is the same thing. Like, I don't go in and say, you know what you need to do? You need to do this, 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 and this, and I force it. The whole idea of parenting is actually nurturing and guiding and steering your kids. And then through example and invitation, inviting them into the fullness of what they, they want to be. Or fullness of who they can be. So let's actually read some Bible. I preached two weeks ago on Philippians 4, and then I read just after that. Paul says, Philippians 4 verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You may have heard that verse before on, I don't know, they love quoting it like in sporting things and we love to have it. It's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, yeah, what he's talking about there is learning to face the hardship of life. And learning to, to face like abundance, but not letting it actually affect you. Which I think is easier said than done. If we look at what like most people, when they really succeed too early in life, it destroys them. And somehow Paul, writing from prison, is able to say, actually, I've learned to be content in all things. The challenge for me is, I'm not there yet. So I'm preaching out of a place where it's like, ah, I see this. I see this goal of contentment. I would love to be there. But the reality is, I need to say, actually, I'm struggling with contentment or discontent. Because I think there is a plague in the world of discontent. Wh wherever you look, 
whatever generation it is, whatever people group, like show me one country in the world where they're actually saying, you know what, I'm really content, really happy with my leadership, really happy with the way things are going, really happy with my station in life. It's like everybody is just like, hey, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. It's like whether it's, it doesn't matter what. Everybody wants to be on top. And then once you're on top, you have to prove that you're on top and stay on top. Anyway, I found three verses on just contentment. So I was looking up and I'm saying like, God, show me what, how, what does it mean to actually be content? And trying to understand like the Greek word, trying to be fancy and very clever. And honestly, I don't know enough Greek to, to, to try and convince you of that. But in searching it, I found just three verses that correspond to contentment. And one of them is 1 Timothy 6 verse 68. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And there's a quote by Benjamin Franklin. Contentment makes the poor man rich. Discontent makes the rich man poor. And there's a picture that actually, if we live our lives in the way we know, and we're content with that, that is great gain. We may not have everything, but I guarantee you're actually going to, there's joy and there's happiness and peace there. I know that because I've experienced that. I've experienced seasons of that. It's like, if you asked me two weeks ago, it's like, are you content? Absolutely. 100%. If you asked me this week, absolutely not. It's like, I honestly, I'm like, God, what are you showing me this week? And I felt like this virus thing that I went through was actually God showing me the experience of somebody that's going through depression. I'm not saying it's one-to-one correlation, but I was in pain. I was lethargic. I could not almost do anything. I could barely get myself out of bed. And I'm like, God, what is... And he's like, no, this is what some people are going through, what people are struggling with. It's where you've got no hope. You've got like almost no identity, no belief in, who, in what God has placed inside of you. No hope for a future, for a transformation of your circumstance. And the, the worst part is you have no trust in God. Because I think those are the three like, aspects of our lives that affect this content. Like, it's like, actually, do I know who God has made me to be? Do I have an identity in what He has created me to be? Do I believe that I actually have some value to add in the world? Do I believe that God's taking me on a journey? Is there that purpose to my life? Is there going to be benefit to me, my family, to those around me? Am I going to make a difference? Is there actually a future for me? And the reality is like, only if I know that God is good and that He's with me, will that be enough to actually sustain that. And if you'd ask me at times this week, it's like, man, I don't know if I had the right answers to those. And that, that's generally not me. <laughs> but just this week when I was just so flat, I don't know if I had that. And I, like asking God after I came through it, is this what you're showing me? And I, I think it was. 
in another verse, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, where Paul's talking about like he's thorn in the flesh and he's saying, God, why, why can't you just take this away? And he's like, my grace is sufficient for you. That word sufficient is actually like almost that contentment. It's actually, it's enough. My grace is sufficient. My grace leads to contentment. You don't have to change the situation. You don't have to change the circumstance for you to be content in it. Because my grace can cover up that. My grace can fill in those holes. We look at it in a purely circumstantial only when they come back. Only when that circumstance has changed. Only when my finances change. Only when my kid's life is sorted. Only when... No, my grace is sufficient for you. Even now, you can be content. Because I am with you. Because I hold the future. Because I am the one that determines what the future holds for you. Last verse. Is John 14 verse 8. It's quite a familiar one for a lot of you. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. It is enough for us. It is sufficient. That's the same like root word as contentment. It's actually, if we see God as our Father, it is enough. If we understand God the Father, that He is the one who holds our future. He is the one who determines our identity. He is the one who is taking us on a journey in our lives. Then we can be content. I don't think anything short of understanding God in that way will allow us to be content in this world. Because anything short of knowing God is just, it's just putting a plaster on a giant wound, basically. So we're going to do communion now because like as much as I was, I was thinking about this and I'm like, God, I, I understand this and I, I feel this. It's like going through the, the, the hurt and the pain this week of just wrestling this through of just not having enough, not feeling like enough, not feeling like what we are doing is actually affecting change and it's like, I'm not sure if people are are experiencing the love of God the way that I would long for it. Not feeling like our, our church is operating the way that it could. Not feeling like our, our friendships and our family is operating the way that it could. And it's just saying, God, I, I know there's more. And there's a longing for more like that. But not sure how to actually bring about that transformation. And I think God showing me through this is it's not you that needs to bring him. It is only by revelation of God. That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus came to show us the Father. So that we could understand the love of God for us. That this is the way God loves us. He has a future for us. He has a plan for each and every one of our lives. For your marriages, for your families, for your kids for our country, for... And he needs to deal with that discontent. Yeah.
We've had a quote for a while going through um, let's see if I can find it. It's a quote from Bonhoeffer about like church and so he says those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest earnest and sacrificial God hates those wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. It's not we who build, Christ builds the church. And that, that quote has gone round and round and round in my head and round and round and round in my heart. And buried deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And the reality is it's not just church. It's the same for any relationship, any community, anybody that we love. If we love our kids, but we have this idol of them, we're going to become destroyers of our kids. Because we're going to have a standard that they need to meet. That whenever they fall short of it, they just feel disappointment from us. And that destroys that relationship. Because every time you, you come into their presence, you're thinking, you know what? I love you, but... And they just hear the but. In our marriage, it's like, man, our marriage is okay, but my wife needs to do this. My husband needs to do that. And it's like, I, I've just been thinking about this from church because that's my, my job. It's like, I, I think about church. And the reality is I think it applies to every relationship that we have, every interaction that we have. If we set, step into it, placing like this burden on other people of it's like, you know what, you just have to measure up to this standard, then you'll really get it. And God is teaching me like, actually, I just need to love people. So it's like, it's partly a confession, it's partly setting you free. It's like, this is a church where there is no standard for you to achieve, to, for you to belong. And it might not always feel like that, but I want it to be like that. I believe that is what church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where, you know what, you are loved. No matter where you're coming from, no matter what you can do, you are loved. It is a safe space for you. Still in that space, we're going to speak identity because... God wants to shape you and change you and mold you, but not from a place of you have to do it for earning, but because of what He's placed inside of you. And it's only when we have that safety that we can actually grow out of that and be transformed. And I think that's partly like what Jesus came to show us. That's showing us the love of the Father. It's radical acceptance, radical love, 
It's like, I'll lay my life down for you, for all of your flaws, all of your brokenness. doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You are loved and accepted. It is washed clean. Now, go and be transformed. Live boldly. Live as like an example to those around you. Doesn't matter how you came in here. It's about what God is building into you now. The symbol of baptism is us being completely washed, set free, raised to new life. Doesn't matter how many times we struggle, God wants to transform us. Repentance is not about learning like how to just be clean and then go to God. Repentance is that, like, and maturity is actually shortening that distance between when we mess up and we turn back to God. Lord, thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for showing us the Father. I pray that you would sow seeds of contentment in our hearts this morning. Now in the winter of our discontent has been made a glorious summer. That where there's been a winter of discontent in our lives, in our relationships, in our approach for the future, I pray that you would make it a glorious summer. That you are the king that has come and transformed everything. That actually we can rejoice and there can be music and there can be dancing and there can be laughing and there can be sunshine. Thank you that you made all of that possible by your sacrifice, Jesus. In Jesus' name.